Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted us to consider the nature of Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ. But before we get too far into the nature of Christ, I wanted for us to revisit two important glossary terms. One is truth. In other words, what is truth? And would you recognize truth if you saw it? And I talk about truth because even inside the church, uh, we have believers who really have a skewed view of what is true, according to scriptures. So I wanted for us to talk about the definition of what truth is. So when we talk about Christ's divinity or talk about his uh, humanity, we're not basing our belief system necessarily on what we think, but what the word of God is saying, because the word of God is truth. If the word of God is uh, God's word deposited to us, then it has to be true because God is truth. So truth for our working definition is telling something like it is. That's the first definition of truth is telling something like it is or that which correspond to its object. So truth is telling something like it is or that which correspond to its object. Then the second word that I wanted us to consider is the law of non-contradiction. I always talk about the law of non-contradiction because it is the universal truth that's been deposited to humanity from God himself. It's part of the universal laws. The law of identity is one. The law of excluded middle is the other. The law of inference is the other. And then we have this law of non-contradiction. And the law of non-contradictions basically says that two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense. Two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense. For an example, a certain part of a table has to be either dry or wet. It cannot be both dry and wet at the same time in the same sense. And then another example I can give you deals with the narrative where John the Baptist sends a disciple to go ask Jesus Christ if he is indeed the Messiah or should we look for another? So what John the Baptist wanted to know is, is it true that you're the real Messiah? Are you the authentic Messiah? That's the law of identity. Are you the real thing? Because if it's true that you're the real Messiah, then anyone else that comes saying they are the Messiah, they have to be rejected because that violates the law of non-contradiction. So for our purposes, if the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the only way, and there are other people who are coming to us saying there's some other way 
to the father beside Jesus Christ, then that narrative, that argument, that belief system has to be false. They both cannot be true at the same time in the same sense. So for our purposes, we wanted to talk about the nature of Christ. And as a result, we have to deal with a term called Christology. And Christology is basically the study of Jesus Christ. In studying Christ, there are some obvious and sometimes not so obvious questions that must be answered. Since the beginning of the uh, first century church, the church has struggled to articulate what the scriptures were actually saying in terms of Jesus Christ. Some questions were regarding his nature. Who is he? Is he all human? Is he all divine? Is he half human? Is he half divine? Is he a, 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 a mixture of both? Is he all divinity, meaning that his divinity absorbed his humanity or did his humanity totally absorb his divinity? These were questions that the early church uh, had in terms of trying to articulate what the scripture was saying. And many times some within the church got it wrong. So as a result, the church was were forced to come out with creeds, were forced to form councils and and, and, and forced to meet as a uh, as a universal church. So we may have a unified response to those who may have doctrines that were outside the pale of orthodoxy. So when it comes to Christ, there were numerous teachings. There were numerous belief systems. There were numerous uh, ideologies and dogmas that didn't quite mesh or were inconsistent with what scripture actually taught. Likewise, in the 21st century, we're still dealing with misinformation about Jesus Christ. Well, you may be asking, what's the big deal? The big deal is God is interested in the truth. God is interested in the truth. And the only one that uh, gets excited about uh, things that are not true, about lies, about uh, being disingenuous is the devil himself. So we that are children of the light, we that say that we love God and we love Jesus Christ. If God is the embodiment of truth, then if there's nothing, no other argument, we should just love truth because God is truth. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's not enough to say that they have their beliefs of Jesus and we have our beliefs and we both can have our beliefs and let bygones be bygones. If that was the case, why did Jesus come? Why didn't Jesus just let the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenians lead his people? Jesus could have simply said, well, you already have a religious system. So go ahead and follow that. And I have a I have a religious system. So if you choose to follow me, that's fine. But if you want to follow them, that's fine. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't a relativist. Jesus was absolute in his truth affirmations. When Jesus said that he and the father was one in terms of their nature, that's exactly what he meant that he and the father were one. So the question at hand is 
What is Jesus nature? In other words, what is the essence of Jesus? What is he ontologically? What is his relationship to the father and to the Holy Spirit based on his nature? What is the efficacy of his work on the cross based on his nature? For you see, only Jesus could die for our sins. If I died for your sins, there, there would be no remission of sins. There would be no atonement if I died for you. But when Jesus died for us, because he was ontologically perfect, it satisfied the father. Then another question uh, that the early Christians were grappling with was, does he have a beginning? And these are all legitimate questions. But based on your conclusions would determine whether or not you were on the right track or not on the right track. Then others wanted to know, is he limited in his knowledge? Is he uh, omniscient? Is he uh, omnipresent? These are all questions that the early church uh, were struggling with and trying to come up with a unified response to these questions. Did he have a material body or was he immaterial? Was he just spiritual as the Gnostics used to say that he did not actually have a body, but he was just totally spiritual and that's not correct. Was he more divine than human or was he more human than divine? These are questions that the early Christians were grappling with. So what I would like to do is take us through some belief systems which were inconsistent and still inconsistent with the major essentials as it pertains to Christology. The first one is called Apollinarism. And this was a fourth century movement, meaning the 300 ADs, led by Apollinaris. Apollinaris lived circa 310 AD through 390 AD. And he was from Laodicea, which is in the Syrian region. Now, Apollinaris preached that Jesus was God, but was not fully human. It was his belief that Jesus had a real human body and soul, but not a human spirit. His followers believed uh, that Jesus' human spirit had been replaced by divine spirit. So in other words, the mind and spirit of Jesus uh, was primarily from the divine nature. And of course, this is called heresy, meaning uh, doctrine that's false, doctrine that must be condemned, doctrine that goes against the pale of orthodoxy. So to say that uh, Jesus was God, but not feel, uh, fully human is inconsistent with scripture. His view was condemned by the church through the council of Constantinople, uh, which was held in 381 AD and also by the treaty of Chalcedon, uh, which addressed Apollinarism and condemned them. And that's the great thing by the early church. We had Christians who were learned Christians who studied the Bible Christians who were able to say that a belief system or teaching or preaching was inconsistent with orthodoxy. These days we have too many 
believers, too many people in church who are compromising the things that we can't compromise on. We don't have the authority to compromise what God has said is true. We can't go back and try to redefine truth for ourselves when God has already defined what's true. So Apollinarism was condemned. So when we look at uh, the treaty that condemned Apollinarism, it says, we believe in one God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the only begotten begotten of the father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made of one essence with the father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And that part is important because uh, Apollinarism preached that uh, Christ really didn't have a human body. So uh, they inserted this part in this creed to uh, condemn what Apollinaris was preaching. So Jesus was born by a woman who was a virgin and he became man. That's what this doctrine and creed says. Uh, he was crucified for us under uh, Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits, sits at the right hand of the father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the father, who with the father and the son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets and in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the uh, for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come against. This is a creed of the ch early church and it was written in direct response to Apollinarism. So we as Christians, just like the early church, we must stand up and respond out of love to those who are preaching and teaching uh, uh, incorrect doctrine. Then the next movement is called Sibelianism. And as I move forward and describe Sibelianism, you'll find that there are uh, contemporary movements who have the same type of doctrine. And likewise, we must stand up and share with them in love that they are incorrect and uh, what they're preaching is inconsist inconsistent with classical theism. So Sibelianism was a movement led by the third century teacher named Sibelius. Now, in an attempt to avoid tritheism, which meaning three gods or the notion that Christians worship three gods, uh, Sibelius went too far in his attempt to reconcile the uh, doctrine of the Trinity so that it wouldn't appear as though we worship three gods. So he came up with a doctrine that totally uh, uh, got rid of the distinction between the Godhead. He preached that the father became Jesus Christ. Then when Jesus Christ left, he, he then became the Holy spirit. 
And this is called also modalism, meaning that the father became the son and the son became the Holy Spirit. So again, the church condemned this modalistic doctrine. And today you still have contemporary groups and organization that preach uh, not the Trinity, but they preach modalism. They believe that the father became the son and the son became the Holy Spirit. And we know through even the baptism of Jesus Christ, where uh, the son is being baptized. The father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit uh, is in the form of a dove. So there's a distinction of the Godhead at one time during the baptism of Jesus Christ. Then the next movement is called Nestorianism. Nestorianism is a fifth century movement, which was led by the monk Nestorius. And Nestorius lived from 381 AD to 452 AD. Now he taught that there were two separate persons in Jesus Christ. In other words, this, uh, he separated Jesus two natures. So as a result, in Jesus, according to him, we have two separate persons, which is totally uh, incorrect. And it goes against the pale of orthodoxy. In Jesus, we have uh, one person, two natures, not two persons. So this was, again, re um, rejected by the church in terms of of the universal consensus at the council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. And we will uh, go over the council of Chalcedon uh, definition when we get further down the road. Then the next group was Arianism. Arianism was a popular movement. They used to uh, go around singing a song saying there once was a time when the son of man wasn't. So in other words, they believed that Jesus Christ was not divine, but was created by the father. He was the uh, first one created by the father. He preached that Christ had a beginning and as thus meaning that Christ was created by the father. Arianism produced the Nicene Creed. So as a result of this heresy, the economical Christian church met at Nicaea in AD 325 and the Nicene Creed was produced due to this Arian controversy and once again the church stood up came together and articulated what the scriptures actually said versus what people thought or felt we can't always base our belief systems on how we feel when Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight it's not based on your senses. Sometimes our emotions can serve us well, but other times our emotions and senses can lead us astray. So the Nicene Creed was produced as a result of the Arian controversy led by uh, Arius. So this is the Nicene Creed. It says, we believe in one God, the father, all powerful maker of all things, both seen and unseen and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, the only begotten begotten from the father that is from the substance of the father, God from God, life from light, true God from true God begotten, not made. 
He's with the Father, through whom all things came to be, both those in heaven and those in earth. For us humans and for our salvation, he came down and became incarnate, became human, suffered, and rose up on the third day, went up into the heavens, is coming to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. And those who say there was once was when he was not, and before he was begotten he was not, and that he came to be from nothing that were not, or not from another hypostasis or substance, affirming that the Son of God is subject to change or alter, alteration, these the Catholic and the apostolic church anathematizes, meaning that they condemn it strongly. So again, the church came together and they refuted the Aryan movement and controversy. And we can uh, look at John 1, 1, John 20, 28, Titus 2 and 13, 2 Peter 1 and 1, and John 8, 58. Now, these scriptures are important when we are talking about Christ's divinity. They're certainly not exhaustive, but these are scriptures that are indicative of why Christians uh, believe that Jesus is fully God. John 20 and 28, we find the record of the uh, resurrected Jesus dialoguing with Thomas, and he challenges Thomas to uh, touch him so he so Thomas could experience the glorified body of Jesus. And after uh, touching uh, Jesus's body, Thomas responds and answered, my Lord and my God. And again, it's important to note that uh, man cannot accept worship. Only God can accept worship. So Jesus did not chastise him. Jesus received the title because that's who he is. He's fully God. He's God, the son. Then second Peter one and one. Simon Peter, uh, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then in John eight fifty eight, John writes, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And John eight fifty nine verse 59 says, therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. And the reason why they took up stones to throw at him is because Jesus was claiming to be God by taking the I am title for himself. That title I am was never to be used of any man in terms of their personage, but Jesus used the title for himself saying that's, that's who I am. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying, that he was making himself to be equal with God. That's why verse 59 is appropriate. It starts off, therefore, they pick up stones to throw at him. So Jesus is not just uh, human, but he also is divine. So when he went through the kenosis effect, when he emptied himself and, and, and took on a human body, he did not lose any divinity. He merely added on humanity. 
So we pray that you got something out of this episode and we will continue on our next episode with the uh, Christology and the nature of Jesus Christ. Go out, def uh, defend the faith that have been deposited to us and do it with boldness, gentleness, and respect. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's word, listen to the spirit and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.